So um, I do have a really, 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 really important announcement to make, and I, I need your attention for this. Um, the elders and I, we've talked about this, we voted, and we've decided beginning this week, um, I'm going to go ahead and begin wearing... I don't know if y'all knew or not, but I do have my, my master's. This is not funny. This is not a joke. We, so I'm going to start wearing. Um, get the zipper fixed. There we go. So we, we voted, and they'll remember this, just ask them. I'm going to start teaching in this um, on Sundays, and I would greatly appreciate it if from now on, just go ahead and address me as master. Um, Tammy has gotten really good. She, for the past eight, eight years or so, um, when I walk in the door, um, and, and we are in COVID right now, so you can't really kiss my hand or ring, but you can go ahead and, and bow, kneel, curtsy, some, something just to respect my presence. So now that that's taken care of, I have a question um, to start with this morning. Is it possible to make yourself appear better and you are. Is it possible, and the question we've really been wrestling with the last several weeks, is it possible to make your heart look better than it is? To make your desires seem more pure, more holy than they really are? So in the series, King Jesus, we're wrestling with one single big question that kind of drives the series, and it's how does Jesus become king? And one of the things that's important in this is not just simply to understand that Jesus does become king, but to understand how he gets there and what it takes. Because it has a profound impact on you and I. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem with this triumphal entry, and then he goes on to take out the temple and to take out a fig tree. And then there are four kind of conversations/slash arguments that ensue that we looked at last week. And last week we talked about the importance of really the heart of their questions. Not, not really Jesus' answer. Or not even what their questions were, but the heart behind the questions. Because it is possible, in fact, it's pretty easy to make yourself appear better than you are. And so Jesus begins by challenging 
their understanding of Messiah because they believe he's going to be this messianic king from the line of King David. And so while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. And the big question that Jesus was challenging was who would be Messiah? What would he look like? And his answer as he's teaching is not simply that he's going to be from the line of King David, but that he's going to be David's Lord as well as David's son. And so you you have to understand, Jesus is challenging everything that they know and everything that they believe, everything that they've grown up knowing to be true. Now now think about this, because you can put yourself in the disciples, or I'm sorry, in the religious leader's shoes for a second. What do you do when someone challenges some of your core beliefs? How do you feel? When someone challenges what you have always believed to be true, my guess is it's not, oh, well, okay, I'm just going to change my views. I used to think this, now I'm going to think this. For most of us, my guess is we dig in our hills. And so Jesus is challenging everything they believe It means to worship God and to represent Him in this world. He's challenging everything that they believe and know to be true. But what does it feel like to be in their shoes? As Jesus confronts the system, He confronts the leaders teachers, because we, we looked last week and everyone comes to this party. The Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders, the teachers of the law, they're all there trying to confront and challenge Jesus. And then this chapter closes with a major contrast. One of the things I've always appreciated in art was contrast. I love seeing the light and darkness in this stark contrast next to each other. And so when we did our remodel, one of the things I really tried to do um, in our house, and I'm not an interior decorator, but I played one on TV. I tried to have a lot of contrast throughout the house because I really appreciated it in art, or at least I thought I did. And then I discovered an artist named Tilt. Tilt is a French artist who is really known for his contrast. And some hotels in France ask Tilt to come in and design some of their rooms. This room is called the panic room. And so on one side, you have this completely stark, white, bright white room 
with this invisible line running right through the center of it, and the other side is chaos. So you go on vacation to rest and relax, and you're lucky enough to walk into this room. My guess is you would have a nervous tick 15 seconds in that sticks with you for life. Panic. And one of the things I found is I'm not as big of a fan of contrast as I thought I was. <laughs> because that is crazy. And so these two stories that he ends chapter 12 with fit perfectly in this room. This incredibly stark contrast in stories. And so I'm going to read both of these stories back to back. And I want you to notice the stark contrast between them. So, verse um, 38. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Then the second story. Jesus sat down opposite of the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper corn coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So you have this stark, stark contrast between the stories. So first, you have the religious leaders. The religious leaders, click, there we go. And the religious leaders, keep, yeah, just keep going, Corey, for me. Long flowing robes, respect and notoriety, they devour widows, they have lengthy prayers, and they give out of their wealth. So, so there's the first side of the room. The second, this poor widow, who is completely unassuming. She is unnoticed by everyone in the crowd, but Jesus, this poor widow, who has great faith and very few words, and who gives out of her poverty. You have this stark, stark, stark contrast that, that on paper really looks like that panic room where you have one side that is beautifully stark white and you have the other side that looks like complete chaos. And I wonder, I wonder if this story right here is an aha moment for the disciples. I wonder if it's an aha moment 
is they look around at all the people and all the things they thought were so important and realize that all this stuff might look good. It means nothing. In fact, you remember the fig tree? The fig tree had these leaves on it. And it was supposed to look like it had fruit because it was in full bloom. Leaves hid what was underneath. Wonder is it possible without even wearing a robe to hide what's really underneath? Is it possible? For you and I to live right in the center of this contrast. Knowing who we are. And yet so consumed by what everyone else sees. Because I think so many of us, and and this is me included, are wired in a way that we are far more concerned with looking good than being good. We're concerned about what other people see and what other people think about us, about what we wear, about how we talk. Do we sound intelligent enough? Do we look like we have enough money in the car we drive? We are so consumed with hiding what's underneath. And I think most most of us live in a world where we're terrified of what people might truly see if they saw the real And I wonder if in this story of the poor widow, there is not some lament in Jesus' voice. Not lament over the sacrifice that she's making, but lament over the big picture. So when you walked into the temple to the treasury, there were these treasury boxes. And the way that you would put money in, it looked like a big trumpet or horn. And so you would throw in your money into this brass box, and the echo would just go throughout the temple. The the equivalent would be me saying, hey, I'm going to give $100, walking down to the nearest bank and say, hey, can I have quarters? And the tray comes along on Sunday morning, and I just start pulling out the quarters. And after the first handful, you start hearing it, and you're trying to act all pious and holy and 
look like everything is right in your world, but you can't help but notice the sound coming from the front corner of the auditorium. And you see this guy just dumping money, and all you hear is, and the hope is that everyone would say, wow, look at how much he's giving. But you would never know. Someone who just punched in something on their phone quietly across the auditorium gave far more than that hundred and quarters. Looked so big and looked so good. It was really not that significant. And it had nothing to do with the amount. It had everything to do with the motives. And so I wonder if there is some lament in Jesus' voice over the fact that this poor lady is feeding the system out of love for God. But it is a system that will never feed her because she is completely insignificant in their eyes. Which brings up a really great question. Who do we hold in higher esteem? The person who looks like they have great faith or the person who actually does? Who does God hold in higher esteem? The person who looks like they have great faith person who and, and I think for Mark in the back of your mind he wants this picture of the fig tree Th this tree that is in full bloom that looks like it should be full of fr fruit but it is completely bare which is pointing back to the temple that looks like it should be the place where God's presence dwells but it is completely void of God's presence. Not because God can't dwell in that place, but because the people there who carry His presence into this world only look like they are full of His presence. And their hope is everyone will take notice of them. You see, the temple was supposed to be this place of great power because it was supposed to be the place that God's presence dwelled. It was supposed to be a light to the nations. It was supposed to be a place of hope. There was supposed to be power in that place. When I was in college, I interned at Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas as a youth ministry intern, and I did that for four summers. Um, probably my most important and significant role at this church was going to play golf on a weekly basis. 
It was ministry, it was hard, and someone had to do it. And so every week I would go play golf with students at some of the nicer country clubs in Dallas where their parents belonged, and they would pay for our green fees, and so it was just a beautiful summer job. And every morning when I would head to the golf course, I would stop by our local donut shop, and I would get some chocolate donuts, a cinnamon roll, and a chocolate milk. And I would eat and drink on the way to the golf course. And so one particular Sunday morning, or not, it was a Thursday morning, today's Sunday. One particular Thursday morning, I didn't get to play on Sunday mornings, I kind of had to do something else. On Thursday morning, I was driving to the golf course, um, some nice country club in Dallas, and I didn't quite finish all my chocolate milk, and I left about that much in the bottle. And I don't know if you have ever um, lived through a Texas summer, but typically they are quite hot. And so I left my chocolate milk with my lid screwed on tight in the console of my beautiful 1991 Blue Buick Century with plush velvet interior. And if you can imagine, the container of chocolate milk did not hold up well in the Texas heat. And while I was on the golf course, the chocolate milk exploded. And chocolate milk was all over the inside of my car. And so I went to the nearest car wash, and I washed the outside of my car, and I cleaned the inside of my car. But here's one thing I can tell you, is no matter how thorough you are, you cannot get all of the milk out from all of the crevices and hard-to-reach places and velvet seats and carpet, and the smell lingers. It goes on and on into eternity. And I'm pretty sure when we bought my new car in 2003, we actually had to pay the dealership to take it because the smell had still not gone away. I was driving a car that smelled terrible and had no reverse. <laughs> I've told some of y'all that story before. For others, you'll have to ask me. Ask me about my first date in my car with no reverse. It was even better. Um, I discovered something really powerful about that moment. There was power in that place to transform the milk into basically a bomb. The, the conditions there caused something significant to happen. That was the intention of the temple. That it would be a place full of the power and presence of God that would cause something significant to happen to those who encountered that 
presence and that power. And it didn't. It created for the people who were in charge of the system this stark contrast where they looked a lot better than they actually were. It created a people who had lost sight of being the image bearers of God by trading it in to just simply look like the image bearers of God. And you can ask, what's the problem? Is they were coming there to find God's presence. And they thought God's presence was wrapped up in the beautiful robes, in the lengthy prayers, in the great offerings. But it was just a facade that was covering up what was truly here. And what Jesus points to and says, that is significant. That matters. Lady who gives something everyone else is completely insignificant, just like she was. And Jesus says that looks like the kingdom of God. That looks like great faith. Not, not all this other stuff that everyone thinks is so important. That poor widow. She has truly encountered the presence of God. And little did they know, the presence of God standing right next to them. Watching all. These people who walked in every day looking the part. And yet Jesus, my guess, would say, I don't even know them. Because they were more concerned with looking good and actually being good. And you think, okay, well, why does this matter? What, what is the big deal? And I, th I think it's twofold. First of all, if you pretend long enough, eventually you start to believe your own lie. If you play the game long enough and you look like you have it all together, and you hope everyone sees something in you that's not there, eventually you start to believe the lie that says, I belong because I'm good enough. I belong because I'm better than them. And you can fill in the blank for your them. We start to believe it. 
We start to believe that we belong because of what we do. Not realizing that we have no place here at all. We're not for the invitation of Jesus. The one who gives us belonging. We start to look like the older brother who's left outside of the feast, refusing to go in because of who is invited to the feast. And then the second thing is others start to believe they don't belong and are not invited because they don't measure up to what they think you are. Because if you lived in this world and you saw people in the robes with this language giving more than you could ever possibly give, I guess is you would think you weren't as important as they are either. See, now I wonder if people who come for the very first time to Shiloh, walk in these doors, and they see something in us that says, I don't fit here. I don't belong here. I can't be a part because I'm not like Or... Is our persona simply we are sinners who are saved by the amazing grace of Jesus? And we don't belong, but we're invited. Because if that's not the message people hear, then we might as well just shut our doors. If that's not the message people hear, if it's not us, trumpeting the name of Jesus. And there's no reason for us to even exist. Because you can look great. We can look good. I promise you. It's not that hard. My guess is all of us have a tendency to concern ourselves more with looking good than being good. In these whole two chapters, I think kind of the core is this fig tree, temple, that looks one way, but really isn't. And this story, these two stories back to back, also give us a bridge to the end of Mark with an maybe even greater contrast because we have the, the leaders and the widow in this amazing stark contrast, but maybe even the greater contrast is Jesus who is still completely unassuming. He's unnoticed by at least the people who matter. And what they do notice is that he's a problem to the system 
provides their way of life, who is poor, who has great faith over just simply great words. And then I guess we could say he gives all he has. And it provides this amazing bridge into the ending of Mark's gospel. This bridge that's going to take us down a road to a cross that Jesus is going to walk. See, at the beginning we asked that question, how does Jesus become king? And how he gets there is every bit as important as the fact that he does get there. Because this path he walks, this road he walks, is just simply the path that we are going to follow. And it's not a, a path of prestige. It's not a path of honor. It, it's not a path of people bowing before you. It's not a people of, of, of dressing a certain way. It's a path of humility and self-sacrificing love. It, it doesn't look the part But it is a way that honors God, every fiber of our being. And so as we kind of wrap up, I want to just kind of leave you with some questions. What about you? And, and get past the church answers like, no, I, I get it, I'm saved by, by grace. What are you more concerned about? Honestly. What people see? Or who you really are? What consumes most of your thoughts? What others think you are? For what you truly are. And you think, okay, well, what does that even look like? What, what does that look like in our world? And I think it looks just like the presence of Jesus in this world. You know, John begins his gospel by saying, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. My favorite translation of that is Eugene Peterson's The Message. He says, the word became flesh and blood, and it moved into the neighborhood. What would it look like for you and I to move into our neighborhood? Not, not concerned, not consumed by what everyone else thinks or what everyone else sees, but just simply to love our neighbors well. To go next door and to ask someone, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Not so they would see you and think, man, this is some super spiritual person, but out of a genuine love and concern for our neighbors, for the people that we work with, the people we go shopping with, the people that live literally next door. What do they see in our life? Is it someone who just simply looks the part? hey, I'm praying for you. 
Or is it literally someone who will get down on their knees on behalf of their neighbor? Pray. Concerns you most. Looking good. Being good. So one more quick, quick, quick story. And I didn't ask her if I could do this, so she's going to be really mad, and I'll have to eat outside when I get done. But this story comes out for me and my wife. We have a neighbor that lives next door. His name is Mr. Willie. He's an African-American veteran who is getting much older, struggles most days. And without fail, my wife will call and check on him at least two or three times a week. And she'll see if he's, she's doing, if he's doing okay. And there's been times he said, you know, I'd really like a sandwich from Subway. And she'll leave whatever we're doing, drive to Subway, get him a sandwich, and bring it home to him. We'll make meals with leftovers for our family to eat the next day. And her first thought is, hey, let's call Mr. Willie and see if he has something to eat. Can we bring you some fajitas? Can we bring you a burger? Can we get you something? Here's the thing. If I didn't just tell you about this, not a single person in this room would ever know. Maybe that's our question for each other. Do you love well when no one is looking? Do you love people well when no one else can see? Or is our first inclination, I need to do something good. Because everyone Father, today, we pray for your presence in this place. That this place, simply because we, as your people, are your temple, would have the power to transform our lives. And Father, we would walk out of these doors today, Father, not consumed by what others see, but completely consumed by who we are in you. And that it would transform everything in our life. Father, help us to let go of that stubborn, nagging desire to be seen to be known. And Father, follow your path. Father, it was a path that led to a cross. Led to sacrifice. 
But Father, it is a path that we want to commit to follow your people. Thank you for this time. We pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.